Welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with your host and creator of the podcast, Crystal Martinez Acosta. Today is the last day of April. And tomorrow, May 1st, kicks off the first day of one of the most exciting months for me because not only is it my birthday in May, but it is also Mental Health Awareness Month. Throughout all of May, the theme for this podcast is going to be hashtag fighting the stigma or hashtag mental health awareness month. And we're going to be talking to different individuals who want to bravely share their own struggles with mental health. All right, so we have Clarissa on the line. How about you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Clarissa, and I am a teacher and someone who is happy to talk about their mental health. This is so great. I appreciate that you are willing to tell your story and that you're willing to be candid in public on this podcast about your own mental health struggles and or anything else related to mental health stigma. And you're actually the interview who's going to be kicking off May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, So what I was telling Clarissa right now is that it's going to be a four part series where we talk to different people about their own mental health diagnoses and they are also going to talk about um, the stigma related to their diagnosis and how really as a society right now we're kind of still not accepting of people who have depression anxiety I'm gonna let Clarissa talk a little bit about herself right now so can you talk to us Clarissa a little bit about what you do for a living Um, I work as a high school science teacher and I've been doing that for about eight years the time has flown by and I absolutely love it that's so awesome (laughs) I can't believe you're a high school teacher how do you deal with everything (laughs) oh my gosh um it's it's a balance definitely it is tiring and it is exhausting but it's still good yeah I can imagine because I think you and I have talked about how we are fellow introverts and how that can be uh very taxing and especially being a teacher that must be very tiring having to interact with people all day I could easily go home and only talk to my dog (laughs) (laughs) that's true so you have a new dog I do she's special herself she's got mental health issues she does doesn't she she comes from a history of trauma right she has been traumatized before yeah she was a puppy mill mama and so she doesn't know how to be a dog or even interact with other humans. So it's a lot of patience, but I think she's happy. Yeah, I remember commenting on one of your posts how I was like, oh my God, if I were a dog, I'd want Clarissa as my owner because you're super understanding and patient and you work with her and you don't push her buttons on purpose and you're just very careful and considerate of her feelings. It's quite nice. I try. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So why did you want to become a teacher? It takes a certain kind of crazy to want to teach high school. (laughs) So, uh, it's a lot. I, not only teach students this content, but there's so much more about being a teacher in my day and students coming up to you when they're upset and being able to read them to see if they're sick or they're tired from their job. What is it like to be a teacher in high school with, I would imagine, 
I, you hear all over the news, right? All kinds of mental health issues and um, teenagers wanting to die by suicide or school shootings and how I think it's very different from when I went to school and how stressful it is now. Can you talk a little about that? I think the biggest difference from when we went to school and now is the social media aspect. Hmm, yeah. For the most part, kids are just kids. They're doing some of the same dumb and silly and smart things that we did, that our parents did. But now everything is on display to be replayed over and over and over, which can be detrimental if you made a tiny mistake. That is so true. I can't even imagine if somebody would have captured every freaking moment <laughs> or mistake that I made when I was a teenager yes. and then like spread, you know, having it spread like wild, wildfire and um, people having to like criticize it or start rumors with it. It's so much harder, I think. I've got to say this since you brought up how much students are struggling. In the last eight years that I've been there, we've actually had multiple students. Really? At your school? And so this is definitely, yes. And so this is definitely something that we try and talk about more and be more open about and are slowly trying to reduce that stigma. Yeah, I think suicide is a permanent answer to a temporary problem and yes. I think that teenagers don't really understand that fully um, part of it is because of their development right like their frontal lobe and their critical thinking skills are not fully developed but I think everything is just so much more magnified in high school and so they feel like that's the only way out agreed what kinds of things are teachers being taught about suicide prevention and stuff like that just mental health so we have had a few in-service trainings that were optional for staff and faculty to go to about LGBTQ. And so that's about having more conversations and being open. And although it didn't directly relate to suicide, we are talking about that link between students who feel marginalized and their mental health. Right, because LGBTQ youth are at way higher risk for suicide and other uh, mental disorders and diagnoses um, just because of where society is at right now. I think there's a lot of uh, discrimination and even some of that like dissonance about like, do I accept this person or do I not accept them? And that can make them feel so isolated and lonely, I can imagine. Imagine. I am hoping yeah. that I know this podcast is kind of small right now. I'm hoping that it explodes one day and people will hear <laughs> things about stigma and how um, there always is an answer aside from suicide. Because again, suicide is very permanent. You don't come back from that. That's right. You know, that's a very big decision. We just try and watch it out for the best we can. And if we see something don't ignore anything that we see in these kids. In my town, you know, teachers or parents say things like, oh, they're just saying that they want to commit suicide because they need attention or they want attention or it's just oh. like drama. And they kind of really, they don't kind of, but they actually really minimize that. And it's a little scary because you never know which of those outcries is going to be the real one. So yeah, exactly. I agree with you. I agree. We need to not ignore or any of that at all. Um, all right, so how about you talk to us a little bit about your own struggles with mental illness, and I can ask you some questions in between. Um, 
I was lucky enough to have a mother who worked in mental health. So there was never really stigma within my family and within the home, which helped so much. I think I went to my first counseling session at age 17, which I know isn't common for most Americans. I think most of what was going on was teenage stuff, development, adjusting to friends and changes in our lives. After that period, I had visited my university counseling services a couple times throughout school. It seems like I've been in school forever. Uh, I have a bachelor's and two masters. So I was on campus and I was very acquainted with the counseling service. And then really when things came to a climax with my mental health was about my third year of teaching. I, I didn't feel well physically. I was tired. I was having trouble with friend relationship, quick to bite my friend's head off. And then that escalates to closing myself off from friends and not being around those people who care about me all the way up to the point where I'm sobbing for hours. I can make it to work and I could get through my day just fine. But when I came home, I was done. I was wiped out and I had nothing left. Wow. So it sounds like it was a real kind of like day-to-day experience where it was, you know, your energy was only there to do basic functions like go to work and wake up and, you know, come home, but then do it all over again. And it was all your energy was gone. Yes. It felt like I had a mask that I would put on and act like everything was okay during the day. And then when I came home, that was how I really felt. What I want to know is why you think you felt you had to put on that mask? That's a good question. (laughs) So I... I felt expectations. I've always had high expectations for myself to do well and perform. And I I still wanted to do well at my job. And I had certain expectations for how I did my job, how I behaved and greeted others courteously. And I wanted to maintain that even though it was painful at times. Yeah, so what would have happened if you would have led people to believe that you were depressed or that you were not feeling so well? What do you think would have happened? I think people change their tone when you tell them something about your mental health or something that is even just sad. They say, are you okay? What can I do for you? And I don't know how I would have taken that. A bigger part is... I didn't know I was depressed most of this time. I didn't realize until after the fact that I was putting on this mask during the day. Wow. How did you come to realize that you were putting on this mask? So I had also had some female reproductive health issues. And I was going to my general practitioner, and they had done blood work and saw that my hormones were not normal. Well, we tried this medication to fix it, and that fixed some symptoms. And we'd wait a month for the medication to work. And I came back about three times, and I said, this is still not right. I am still not okay. I am still upset. I am crying. I don't want to do anything. And that's when my general practitioner put me on an SNRI. Okay, so there are a couple things there. It sounds like you knew yourself pretty well, number one. Mm -hmm. Then you recognized, this is not typical for me. Why am I crying all the time? And I'm pissed off at everybody all the time. Something is still not working. Like, cool, we found some solution or some problem. We labeled it as a hormonal thing or an imbalance of some sort. But there was still something missing. And so you had 
had the guts, which I think is very brave for somebody to be able to come to their doctor and say, hey, dude, this ain't working, you know, like do something else. So then he put you on an SNRI. Can you talk about what that is? Sure. It's a serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. There you go. I was quizzing you. (laughs) Yeah, girl, I got it. (laughs) Go ahead and talk about what that does in the body. So two chemicals, serotonin and norepinephrine, are chemicals that help your nerves communicate with each other. And sometimes the levels outside of the neurons aren't as balanced as they should be. And this medication prevents your cells from sucking up all the extra chemicals and now you get to leave some behind, which has been shown to increase people's mood if they have depression and or anxiety. How they do? That was great. You get an A plus and a gold star. That was awesome. Thank you, teacher. <laughs> and your your inner science teacher came out. That was so great. So what you're saying is that this inhibitor, right? It's kind of like it acts as a stopper in your body or your mm-hmm. brain because too much of a chemical is being absorbed it's like the sponge is too big and it's absorbing all those chemicals that you need and so it's going through your system too quickly so none of it really is kind of left behind to help you feel better awesome okay so they put you on this snri and what did you think of that like having to take medication that is for depression part of my mom working in mental health I knew that that was okay. That sometimes you have to do this. You have to take medication for a period of time in your life to get better. And sometimes people need to take medication for most of their life. And I was okay with that. It it sounds like that because your mom was already somebody who, I guess, advocated for mental health for yourself and probably for herself and for her job, Uh you were used to the idea of medication and what that meant. And what's really interesting and unique about your story is that mental health and taking medication was destigmatized in your family. So for you, you felt, okay, like I've got to just take this pill and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm totally okay with it. Whereas I feel like most of the time, I'd say you're like 2% of the population. I feel like I know, a lot I'm of very people, lucky. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think that people are just afraid or I don't know what, maybe, maybe it is the stigma like, oh man, I have to take medication. What does this mean? Does this mean that I'm crazy? Yeah. Well, you know, when you're depressed and you're in it, you already feel crazy. You don't know what's up. You don't know. It feels like your mind is betraying you. Hmm. And you're not in control of your thoughts the way you know who you are. And that's not coming out of your brain, I guess. Yeah, it, it sounds like you, again, that's something that has to do with you knowing yourself, right? And thinking these responses and these thoughts are not really me. Like, this is not who I am. And I don't know why this kind of weird stuff is going on in my brain. It's not normal for me. So was it a relief for you to start taking this medication? It was such a relief. It was like somebody turned on a light switch. I probably should have been on some type of antidepressant since puberty. It was a game changer. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Talk about how it changed, how it changed things, how it was a game changer for you. I could 
and relax so that everything didn't annoy me and I could be myself. I, I, I'm kind of speechless because I'm so excited about how better I feel and I still take it about five years later and then knowing how I feel with it, I think I probably should continue to take it until I need a different medication or something else needs to be reevaluated. I think this is what is right for me. Yeah, so this medication really mixed well within your system and you got a pretty good response. I know that I'm very lucky that the first medication worked. I was completely prepared and know that after a few months, you see if this one works and maybe this medication is better for you. Right, yeah. So another unique thing about your story is that they kind of just got it right on the money the first time. Yeah. Once you started taking it, what are some of the differences, aside from not being annoyed by everybody or everything, aside from that symptom, what other kinds of changes did you notice? I feel like I did when I was a little kid. I feel like a happy, laughing, joking. I feel like I look on the bright side of things. I don't let the small things bother me. Wow. So it's changed your outlook, like the way you think about things. I feel like this is living. And that before, that was not what is fully living. I mean, that's, it sounded like you were in real turmoil back then. It was, you know, day in, you wake up, you expect to be depressed. That's just your life. And it becomes normal for a little while. And then you take medication and it's like, whoa, whoa, what the heck? Like everything changed and you just feel so much better. It sounds even like, I know that one of the symptoms for, for depression is dysphoria, right? So just not really taking a lot of pleasure out of life where everything just kind of sucks or is like meh, you know, like whatever. Okay. Like indifference or, um, apathy. Right. So it sounds like it really took that away, makes you live life a little bit more intentionally and things like that. I definitely felt what I call flat when I was depressed. It was just, uh, I mean, yes, I could get upset and I could get angry. And there were times where I could laugh and and have a joke and have fun. But overall, I just felt blah and flat with my emotions. Hmm, Very interesting. Yeah. And these these symptoms that you're describing are very common in depression. Um, I know that with teenagers, one of the more common symptoms for depression because it manifests differently across all age groups right even infants can have depression and a lot of people think what infants can have depression yep they sure can um so you know children might get really uh dysregulated or really sensitive either they cry or they get upset or they throw tantrums a lot and then for teenagers it's kind of like they're irritable all the time like they're just pissed off at the world and they're like i hate everything and everyone and all kinds of stuff so when you say that you felt like you probably needed this since puberty are those the kind of symptoms that were present when you were an adolescent yeah to an extent um when i said that i had hormone issues i was actually diagnosed with pcos polycystic ovarian syndrome have you heard of this 
I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly what it is. Can you tell us? Sure. It's a problem with your hormones produced from your ovaries. And so there is a gamut of symptoms that a woman could have. And she doesn't have to have all of these. She doesn't actually have to have cysts on her ovaries. Others are abnormal period, hair loss on your head, but then it comes and shows up on your face instead. Um, Weight around the midsection, uh, infertility, and depression. And so many women now are being diagnosed with PCOS because there's a link between obesity, which we know is going on in this country, and PCOS. And so as a teenager, as an adolescent, um, I still had some of these problems, but the doctor hadn't fully diagnosed them. Maybe they were just normal changes in the developing body. But I think this has been a hormonal problem since adolescence. I think it's so important that you mention that because there can be a lot of contributing factors to depression. And one of the things that I know that I was trained to do as a therapist is whenever there's somebody who has moderate to severe depression, um, referring them to get a medical exam, like rule out anything that has to do with a medical cause for their depression because I think what could happen is let's say PCOS for example if somebody comes in with PCOS and they're depressed and I'm only treating the depression with therapy and then I recommend they go to a psychiatrist and some of their depression goes away but what about the other symptoms that could potentially be dangerous because it has to do with a medical condition right it has to be treated somehow so I think it's very important um to get a comprehensive assessment from your mind, but also your body. I really think that I was able to maintain uh, throughout adolescence and early college. I'm very strong-willed. I could do everything right. Mm -hmm. But the stress of teaching, I think, really ramped up the hormones and set off the depression. Hmm, Okay. So it's kind of like you were able to manage it. But then once you got into this environment of teaching and the Mm -hmm. classroom where it's a high-stress environment, uh, you have to constantly be on. You're an introvert, so then Mm -hmm. that's (laughs) energy-wasting, right? So you were in this environment that was just kind of like crappy right and it ended up (laughs) triggering and making your depression just so much more evident yes yes the environment thing is something we also need to address as therapists so somebody could come in for therapy forever for a year two years three years but if they're going back home or they're going back to work to the exact same environment that is triggering their problems, not very much progress can be made. At the same time, were you receiving therapy as well as medication? I did. Once I had started taking the medication, I realized how much trouble I was in. And so I made an appointment to see a therapist. I'm, I'm getting a little clearer head with the medication and I'm putting things together and saying, man, I was really depressed, am still depressed, 
I need extra help. And I thought, I want to give myself the best chance possible, so I'm going to combine therapy with medication. Which we know, as evidence shows, right, that therapy mixed with medication, talk therapy mixed with an antidepressant or whatever other medication your psychiatrist or doctor gives you, is the best and most effective way to combat mental illness. You found a great therapist. And I found it right off the bat, and uh, the first therapist I met worked with me, and we did... Is it EMDR or EDMR? I forget the name of it. Oh, EMDR, yeah. Yeah, so that was interesting. She first poses this to me that, well, I think you have some symptoms with your background of some chronic PTSD, so I'd like to try this technique that sounds really weird. She noticed that you had post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. Yeah, we were talking, and as they get uh, to know you, and she's taking a history, we talked about... Uh, my dad coming up. I was raised by a single parent mother. And so the idea of my dad not always being there and how that felt, some other signs with more current relationship, I think she picked up maybe we need to revisit how I felt about my father. Interesting. And it sounds like when you were going through this whole, let me figure out what's going on. Do I have depression? Is this part of my PCOS? I bet that didn't pop into your head or did it? Oh, no. My father hasn't been around for years. I thought I put that away and I'm moving on. Interesting. So it wasn't until she brought it back up. At that point, I'm all in. If I'm willing to try and I say yes, I'm all in. So I said, okay, she knows more than I do. Let's try it. How did that end up working for you? I think it worked really well. Processing how I felt about my father being there and then all the times that my dad isn't there. I think that helped me move forward and kind of change the color of the glasses that I look at the world through. Interesting. So before you had seen the world through what kind of lens? Um, With a father who says they're going to pick you up and then doesn't, you get some problems trusting people and I want to do everything by myself and I don't need anybody. And so I kind of process that, let some of that go. Thinking about your past can make you have those connections for your behavior right now. You are an ambitious, independent person, but some of that in the past was being fueled by, you know, the need to be independent and maybe kind of like in the back of your head showing your dad, like, I don't need you. I don't need anybody to take care of me yeah. kind of thing. A little bit. A little, little stubborn, little I can do with mom. <laughs> yeah, just a little, just a little stubborn. That's funny. Oh my gosh. The other question I have, what kinds of symptoms do you think people should look out for? Cause I know that we mentioned some and, uh, in your story, you talked about feeling irritable. You were really fatigued at the end of a day. What are some other things that you recommend other people looking out for? I think a big one is looking to how your relationships with your friends and your family and your coworkers might be changing. Huh, okay, changing how? Tell me about that. So a big sign for me was that my friendships were under turmoil, that I even had a hard time with the people that I loved the most, and that wasn't like me. And it ended up kind of being isolating. So if you feel maybe disconnected or you feel like you're isolated or even if you're fighting a lot with your friends or family or coworkers, that that's something you should probably reflect on you don't have 
have to look sad all the time to be depressed. I was still functioning. I still laughed, but it was just part of my day. It sounds like you really had to fake it to make it kind of thing throughout the day. And it's true. You don't have to necessarily look sad or pale or real thin and frail and things like that. It's like, oh, she looks sick. She must be depressed. No, some people who are depressed can put on that happy face, can still survive throughout the day back in their home or in a safe spot. They can kind of let go and just be depressed. I have a history of depression as well. And that's something for me that has been or had been and could still be a problem that I deal with is the whole putting on a happy face thing for people so that they're not concerned. And especially as a mental health practitioner, what would people think if their therapist was depressed, right? There's like this double stigma, I feel, with mental health professionals or with doctors or anything like that because I feel like people judge a little more harshly like what the hell you know you're a therapist you're telling me to get my shit together but you can't get your crap together and you're depressed like what the hell (laughs) that's awful I know I'm so sorry I think that's not fair I think the more we talk about I can be a teacher and I could still be aware of my mental health. That's a wonderful example of how it doesn't mean that you're some weirdo. Exactly. So you sharing your story about being a teacher and, you know, getting treatment for depression is destigmatizing. So I think it's pretty cool that you came on to talk to us because really you're contributing to fighting the stigma generally. And I feel like I can do the same. I know a lot of people in mental health have diagnoses, you know, anxiety or depression. I mean, it makes sense. Therapists hear a bunch of really sad or terrible or traumatic things that happen to people every single day, day in and day out. And you're telling me that you've never been affected at all. You know, like that. mm, I don't know about that. I mean, some people don't have depression and anxiety and they take care of themselves very well. And uh, maybe they just don't have any genetic propensities or anything like that to depression. But it's it's difficult, I think, to function whatever your job is with depression. It takes a little bit more effort with treatment and therapy. I've I've been better. I've, I've been doing well. You feel like you have to check in with yourself. I have to go, "Uh uh-oh, am I not feeling well? Have I been doing enough yoga? Have I been working out? Do I need to get more sleep? Yeah, something's missing. I'm not taking care of myself in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I think especially because we interact with people, and I think when you're a professional, right, you're a professional person, you're a teacher, you have Mm -hmm. to maintain a certification or a license, right? Um, Yes. And you interact with other people. I think that you have to be responsible in that way to check in with yourself because what would have happened if you would have 
never gotten treated for that. What do you think would have happened? I don't think I could have continued teaching. I don't think I would have gotten better. And I think my life would have gotten a lot harder to continue. And it sounds like you intervened like just at the right time. Definitely. I think with this podcast and with this series is I really want to encourage people to do what you did to notice, acknowledge that something is going on that you're not acting typically for who you are right I don't like the word normal or abnormal um I don't like those words because it makes people sound like oh you're not normal it's like okay thanks but if you're behaving in ways that are not typical for yourself or other people are noticing that you are behaving differently or that you've changed and some of those changes are not necessarily positive it doesn't hurt to seek help and it doesn't hurt to just go in even if you go in for an initial evaluation right like I just kind of want to find out what's going on talking about your symptoms that first time either in therapy or visit to the doctor can be very freeing so it sounds like right now you're still under treatment and it sounds like what you've been doing right now has been working out for you pretty well do you anticipate any other changes coming up in the future with your diagnosis I think at this point I'm kind of in my own skin and I know who I am so I can imagine things going on the same way but with that said I know with major life changes sometimes things get jumbled up a little bit and so maybe down the road something else comes up but I think for now I'm on a good path yeah absolutely Um, life goes on and life happens to people whether they're depressed or not but I think the good thing about what you've said is that you're anticipating that you're anticipating that there are going to be problems your life isn't perfect life still happens and you just have to kind of be prepared for what comes up next yep awesome. I'm ready you are ready <laughs> Thank you, Clarissa, for sharing your story about your mental illness and your personal struggles. This is one part of the battle to hashtag fight the stigma for hashtag mental health awareness month, which is all of May. I think it's important that Clarissa has come on here to destigmatize mental illness. And if you feel like you need to reach out to someone to get some answers, get medication or get treatment for whatever struggle you're dealing with, I'm hoping that this podcast inspires you to do so. Many people are fighting invisible battles that we cannot see. Until next time on Through the Eyes of a Therapist with Cristal Martinez Acosta.